0: Hello, and welcome to Frame by Frame, a song-by-song analysis of our legendary progressive rock band, King Crimson. Come and join us in our test of discipline. Welcome, one and all, to Episode 2 of Frame by Frame, a podcast analysis of King Crimson where we are going one song at a time. I am your host, Ryan, and joining me is my other host, Avery. Avery, how you doing?
1: Doing pretty good. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. Uh you were in a rather crimson location today, weren't you?
1: Oh yes. I was in Providence. Yeah,
0: Providence. <laughs> um <Full> before- City. <laughs> exactly. All right. So this is episode two, where we're <laughs> talking about I Talk to the Wind. Thank you all for listening. Um, you can find us on Google, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts now. We are also on YouTube. And we're getting everywhere we can. Of course, we have our email, framebyframepod at gmail.com. So any questions, comments, or inquiries, feel free to send them there. And if they're interesting, we'll read them on the show. Let's get right to it. I Talk to the Wind. It was recorded the 29th of July in 1969, the version that we hear on the album, credited to Ian McDonald and Peter Field. It was originally written... I believe at about 68, Ian McDonald had brought it to Giles Giles and Fripp, who we haven't mentioned yet were essentially the proto King Crimson, for lack of a better term.
1: Yeah, which, the cheerful insanity.
0: Yes, cheerful insanity. We almost called it that, but <laughs> I did not to. Uh, Giles Giles and Fripp was Robert Fripp, Michael Giles, and Peter Giles on the bass guitar. And they were an interesting little trio. I recommend checking out the album. It's It doesn't sound like Crimson that much, does it? No. It, it's any,
1: something. It's really something.
0: I'll say, is there any comments you want to make about it?
1: I haven't listened to it in so long. It's just like quirky British late 60s pop type stuff. I remember like some spoken word parts, I think.
0: Yeah. Isn't there some like comedy bits in there as well? Yeah. Yeah. Wacky I,
1: little album.
0: Hmm. I think I searched it out a couple years ago because I just had to know what it sounded like. There is very little crossover. I know they they did a second album, or at least they released like an archival album quite a few years. Strawberry tapes. Yes. Have you heard that? I have not. Neither have I. But I'm told. <laughs> Rip. Um. I. <laughs> I believe on that. The two most inter- interesting things are that the piece that became Prelude Song of the Gulls is on there. It was originally a oh, Giles, really? Giles, and Fripp track. Yeah. Yeah, Fripp was writing pseudo-classical music even back then, but it got wow. refined into Song of the Gulls. I haven't heard it, but yeah. I, I will wait for that episode. And I believe there exists an early version of I Talk to the Wind, because for a brief period of time, Giles, Giles, and Fripp – decided to bring on Ian MacDonald, and I believe his girlfriend at the time, Judy Dyble, who later became the vocalist in Fairport Convention, which is a interesting little band. I've never heard of them. Yeah, they're kind of like um, part of that 60s British folk thing, kind of like the folk rock explosion. So a lot of these people were influenced by like Bob Dylan and a little bit of 60s psychedelia and kind of mixed that together. Cool. Yeah, it's all right. It's okay. Mm. I don't know if it's on the second Josh and Fripp record, but I do know that it is on A Young Person's Guide to King Crimson, the c- compilation from 1976, the early version of I Talk to the Wind with Judy Diable doing the vocals. And have you heard that version at all? Um,
1: I think I did once a long time ago.
0: Mm, any memories of it that you have?
1: It was just interesting to hear like woman singing it versus Greg Lake. It just really makes me think like that song definitely could have been a single, like with the studio version, if they had like edited it down a little bit, like four, four, it's like this nice, pleasant hippie ballad about feeling lonely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll get more into detail real quick. Yeah. Um, I do like the Judy Dabble version. It's a lot faster and does feel more commercially viable than the album version that we have. Um, But it sounds a little rushed, like it sounds like it wasn't fully primed yet. But that just could Mm. be because I'm comparing it to the album version, which does slow the tempo down. Yeah. But in any case, there's that little early version. I know it went through a couple more reworkings until it eventually appears as it is on the album. It's weird. It has the most history of any of the songs, but yet kind of flies under the radar i think when people talk about this album yeah. usually when they bring up i talk to the winds they always talk about how it's the stark contrast to schizoid man
1: yeah i was just about to say
0: yeah it's because schizoid Man's this heavy intense piece of music and then i talk to the wind is anything but intense yeah maybe being- that
1: screaming flower meme about it
0: oh <laughs> uh, yeah the the cuphead one right yeah. Mm-hmm. It is very... That meme is very accurate to that song, but I think there's a lot of interesting subtext within it. Yeah. Um, it's funny that on Genius, the the prime like website that you can find lyrics and annotations for lyrics, they bring up the idea that this song is about a man's failing relationship with God and how... He's trying to, you know, communicate with God about his feelings or what's kind of going on, but it's the in one ear out the other, which I think is the whole, I talk to the wind idea, you know, yeah. it very much when you talk to somebody and they're not really responding or even acknowledging what you're saying, the whole, I might as well talk to the wall. Some people are like, might as well talk to the wind kind of thing. Yeah. But I don't think it's really the whole God religion thing. I feel like that's, yeah, no. Yeah, I feel like that's too big, and it's not a big song. You know, it, it's yeah. it's arguably the most downplayed song on the record. Um, Maybe Moonchild. But Moonchild is a is its own thing.
1: Yeah, it's like but, I talk to the wind. Like I just get the impression it's about just feeling like an outsider and kind of just feeling sort of like disconnected from everything and mm-hmm. just feeling like no one's really listening to you. And yeah. when I first heard it, that was something I could really relate to. It grabbed me almost as much as 21st Century Schizoid Man did. Mm-hmm. That, and it was just cool to me that like this band could do this heavy, intense like proto-metal and then just go into like, da-da-da-da-da, <laughs> <laughs> basically.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the song really shows the legs King Crimson actually has. Yeah. So many heavy bands that could do a schizoid man. If they attempted a cover of I Talk to the Winds," they would completely fall on their face. And while I did find a couple interesting cover versions of the song, they're done by completely different artists. Artists who you wouldn't assume would even acknowledge King Crimson in the first place. But I think that's what makes this song so interesting is that it's not part of the typical Crimson canon. It's included in there because it's on in the court. People do tend to rate it highly, at least when I talk to people about this album. They usually talk about Schizoid Man and Epitaph and a little bit of the court, but I feel the court's influence isn't as strong as some people say it is. And then I Talk to the Wind is usually about fourth down. I'm not knocking Epitaph or the court at all or even Moonchild, but I think each of the five songs, while fitting together, all have their own unique identity. And I think that's part of why this album is still as beloved today as it was like 51 years ago. What band back then could sound like Black Sabbath and then sound like some lighter folk band of the time it, it's a vo- it's eluding me and then do like moody blue stuff and then there's a little show tune nod in Moonchild. and yeah that's part of why i think i Talk to the wind is such a i would say it's a very pivotal song in crim and plus it's the be- the first ballad they've ever done i don't think yeah. it's i don't think it's the best ballad they've ever done though i think the softer songs that appear much later are stronger But nevertheless, I think the song, to me, is the best example of Ian McDonald's songwriting. his
1: compositions, rather. Like, I think, weren't the lyrics written by Sinfield? Yes. Yeah.
0: I think early versions, Ian and Judy did some lyrics. I'm not 100% certain. Because from what I've gathered, either McDonald started writing the lyrics and Sinfield finished them, or he wrote them outright. Because I know those two met before either one of them met Fripp.
1: Yeah, I remember reading somewhere, like, Peter Sinfield wanted to join a band. Ian McDonald said something like, your voice sucks, but your lyrics are great. Want to write for my band? (laughs) (laughs) Something along those lines.
0: That sounds accurate, especially if you've heard Peter Sinfield's (laughs) solo album. Yeah. Where there's some good songs in there, but the times he attempts to sing, I think, are underwhelming. Yeah. In my opinion, but, you know, not every good singer is a lyricist in their own way. Um what what do you think is the most striking thing about I talk to the wind? What what about it sticks out to you the most?
1: It's really just how much I can relate to the lyrics.
0: Yeah, just
1: that feeling of like I'm on the outside looking inside, like seeing all of society from like an outsider's perspective or just just feeling kind of like off for just that sense of like derealization
0: is it one of those like like you're just leaning on your window just staring outside and it's just like it it's one of those kind of moody introspective songs in a way yeah but i find i think the main lyric theme if there is one breaking down of a relationship not necessarily a romantic one any relationship between two people kind of breaking down due to a lack of communication mm. which i think is something all of us have dealt with at some point or another, either not communicating to somebody or somebody not communicating to us. And whenever I listen to this song, that's the vibe I get. You know, the words and the sounds just, it's air that just goes out. And most of the time it never comes back. The whole like sound bouncing back thing. Yeah. And it has that notion about it, though musically it's not like, it doesn't sound sad to me.
1: Yeah, it doesn't really sound sad to me either. It's
0: just that introspection and just
1: kind of being like, it is what it is. It's a little bit of a sense of melancholy, but it's not like overwhelming.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like it's not chipper either. Yeah. Even though it, even though it has flute, and I could see somebody just hearing it and it starts with the dual tracked flute and just being like, oh God, this, you know, Jeff Tall bullshit. But I think. <laughs> To me, despite Schizoid Man being very easy to, like, analyze a lot, I find a lot more interest in analyzing something like I Talk to the Wind. Yeah. You know, the, the one um, – I think it's the, la- the second-to-last verse. As I was listening to it today, it just kept going through my mind because I was trying to figure out, you know, what does this exactly mean? The uh, you don't possess me, don't impress me, just upset my mind – can't instruct me or conduct me, just use up my time. Which I think is a very mature thing to write. Yeah. Especially, like, I don't know how old Peter Sinfield was, probably like early 20s. 27, actually. Oh, hmm. one, year older than, one year older than I am now. Mm-hmm. I still got a chance. Um, <laughs> but it's just that you don't possess me, don't impress me, just upset my mind. That upset in my mind because I just kept thinking about that. How in relationships sometimes there is that sense of possessing somebody. You know. Yeah. Especially in like romantic situations. So like, you know, you don't own me, don't you know, don't impress me, you don't have to show off or it's the whole upsetting my mind. You want them to throw things at you to just rattle your brain? Or at least I've always thought that, like maybe, or I was thinking that today. The whole term of upsetting my mind—is it just you want somebody to break the normal flow of thoughts that you have on a day-to-day basis, or do you want? Well, them not.
1: To, I don't think he's saying he wants someone to do that.
0: It's like a list of like, you don't possess me,
1: don't impress me. All you do is upset my mind. So, is it like a sarcastic remark or retort? Do you think something like that? Okay. Just like just being like to someone like you don't get it, you don't understand what I'm saying, and like you're not saying anything interesting to me either.
0: Mm-hmm. Just a case of like finally realizing that like these two people shouldn't really be together, almost, yeah. or they shouldn't be talking to each other. Yeah. Which, which is interesting because I don't see that as necessarily negative. I see that as mm-hmm. very insightful. Yeah. And very self. It's a very
1: insightful song. And
0: very self-aware. Yes. Which is something that is very hard for I think anybody to do, is be yeah. incredibly self aware about these things. And like genuinely self aware. Not self aware in the you're always catching yourself when you say something slightly risky, just more of being able to assess the situation outside of it even though you're inside of it. Yeah. Is very that's a very difficult thing to do. And yeah. Sinfield to try to capture that, I think is really impressive and i think why in the court is sinfield's peak as a lyricist
1: absolutely and
0: while i do like the lyrics he wrote after this they don't hold a candle
1: to yeah. the series right
0: in here i mean we'll get more in detail with epitaph because there's a lot to unpack with that it's just so interesting the whole detail this song really is despite not coming off as detailed because um the other day i learned Greg Lake's bass part to this track, and I was just playing along with the bass. Um, hmm. it, it, if anybody ever tried to learn King Crimson on bass, especially this album, they'll know that I Talk to the Wind, Epitaph, and The Court, they're they're not too complicated. But, you know, it, they do the job. And Moonshirt, I don't think, has any bass at all. Yeah, it doesn't. And I didn't mention this in the Schizoid Man episode, so I'll mention it here, and that is Greg Lake's bass playing in that track is absolutely yeah. insane. I don't know how the hell yeah. he did that. Because I've heard so many people say that Greg Lake isn't a great bass player. It's like, al- excuse me. <laughs> I would al- I would always fight that because, especially in ELP, because he's having to even if he's just doing the root notes or doing what Keith's left hand is doing, he's probably <laughs> one of the most insane left hands I've ever seen a keyboardist have, and being able to match that is very very impressive. Yeah. But I only mention that because I really, really like Greg's bass playing on this track. It's, it's very just simple and groovy. And if you're not thinking about it, it wouldn't register. But it, it's kind of groovy. And it helps add to the groove that Michael Giles is playing on the drums. Because if you listen to the Judy Dial version, he is not playing in the same way at all. In that version, he's doing a much more straight-ahead folk rock drumming kind of piece which is just very like hi-hat bass drum and snare nothing insane just very kind of what you would expect a typical folky rock drummer to do but this song I love his cymbal accents I love those I think his cymbal accents are even better on Cadence and Cascade which I think is an evolution of the song but just those little things that he does is another reason why I love Michael Giles so much and yeah, he's such an underrated drummer. Uh, Neil Peart had mentioned before how the In the Court album and Michael Giles was a huge influence on the way he plays percussion. And if you ever listen to like the peak prog rush stuff from like Feral to Kings and Hemispheres, you can hear Giles's influence in there. And it's not just the crazy fast stuff that Giles can do and the total limb independence thing that he has, <laughs> which is incredible. Yeah, how, how some drummers can separate all four limbs and they're all doing something completely different, but it all fits. And you can hear that in Neil's playing, but also just a lot of the little tasty percussion kind of accents to when you don't need full drums, but you just want a little bit there to just one, to do something and two, to just add that texture. Because Bill Bruford yeah. often talks about how drums are can be very textural and can just add little ideas in the sound field without being completely overbearing when bill chose to do that he did it very very well and i think michael giles does it incredibly well here also and i think i mentioned earlier this is the debut of ian mcdonald's flute playing correct me if i'm wrong is this the only track he plays the flute on on this album i believe it is or no in the court has some flute too oh yeah it does I completely forgot. That's probably because it doesn't stick out nearly as much as it does here.
1: Yeah. It's like, this is a very flute-driven song.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty like sure... That's the
1: main instrument.
0: Like, the flute is the song. And again, just like in some of the other tracks on this record, the guy you associate Crimson with the most, Robert Fripp, is com- is very much buried. Yeah. Like, he's just doing acoustic guitar with, I think, a little bit of electric after um, when Greg says I talk to the wind. Yeah. But but I think other than that, it's just acoustic guitar. He's just doing a lot of just like arpeggioed chords and it's very like rhythmic. I would argue Robert Fripp is much more of a rhythm guitarist than a lead guitarist. Hmm. Like, especially when we get to the 80s era, because a lot of the eighty era eighties era stuff he kind of let Baloo do all the lead stuff, and he would just sit in the back and just do the gamelan cross picking stuff that allows him to be much more of a technician and i 've always seen Fripp as like a technician when it comes to yeah. guitar learning what Fripp actually does on this song really kind of highlights how really good of an acoustic guitarist he is. And I'm not yeah. even discussing the guitar craft stuff because that's a whole nother topic entirely. But the Spotify version of In the Court and I believe on the 40th and all that, there's a duo version, Ooh. which is Ian on flute and Fripp on acoustic guitar. It sounds like a completely different song. You're essentially just stripping the skeleton or stripping the skin and everything to the skeleton of the song. And it's just, it's a lovely piece to hear because, because you can follow it but it's not the same takes as the album version they're different takes Hmm. so it makes me wonder if they were thinking of doing it in that way with just the two of them or maybe it was just different takes that they found and just thought were really good and just wanted to make them their own little thing because that could have been even more dramatic after like this big band this full band schizoid man to go to just two of the members doing this light acoustic thing yeah But I think that could have been too jarring. So still having all the band members there contributing makes it better and gives it more of like that sort of live sound.
1: Yeah, I find it interesting how they they never played this song live, like even in the current lineup.
0: I'm pretty sure the current lineup have done every other song from this record. Even Moonchild, even friggin' Moonchild. But yet they're like, "Eh, we don't want to do I Talk to the Wind. And do you have any theories as to why not?
1: I imagine like the reason they didn't do it like early on in like the first lineup is just because it was so quiet and their live shows were really loud. I don't know why the current lineup wouldn't do it. Like if they did every other song,
0: I'm only thinking maybe it's because none of them want to play an acoustic guitar.
1: Yeah, Cause that could I be a, it.
0: Because I have a feeling if they tried it with electric guitar, it just wouldn't. Oh, uh, that apply. would not work at all. It's very easy to take an electric song to acoustic then acoustic to electric I think yeah I mean overall overall it depends on the song itself when you write something for acoustic and then plug it into electric it just has a whole different like tonality that makes it more challenging but in my head I was just thinking maybe Fripp doesn't like this song yeah which the only reason I thought that was you say the 69 band didn't do it and the current band, but also the islands band didn't touch this one. Yeah. The islands band touched so much of the crim catalog at that time. You know, they even did devil's triangle for Pete's sake. Wait, when did
1: they do that?
0: (laughs) Oh, you don't know about their live versions of devil's triangle?
1: Not off the top of my head.
0: They started doing Mars and Mars, I think I'm cutting the head to devil's triangle, but... They were going to do Mars on In the Wake, but Gustav Holtz's estate was like, no, you can't do this. Fripp so Fripp. So Fripp changed like one note and then it's the Devil's Triangle. And that's on In the Wake. And then the Islands lineup did Mars for a little bit, but then they changed it to Devil's Triangle. But that's a whole nother beast. <laughs> They even did Cadence and Cascade live a couple times, and they're yeah. and they're beautiful. And even yes. Lady of the and even did Lady of the Dancing Water. Like they did the ballads from that time, but they never did Talk to the Wind.
1: Yeah, it could definitely be that Bob and Bobby just doesn't like the song because he doesn't play enough guitar.
0: Maybe it's because he doesn't have writing credit on it because he doesn't like doing the core of the Crimson King either. Because I think he did it in the '69 band, the Islands band did it a. Early on, they did it originally. Then later on, they did it as a jokey blues way.
1: Yes. And oh, then, my God. The oh. legendary Detroit. Oh, my God.
0: that That's a... We'll get there. I think they... For the Jacko Band, I think they just did it in 2014.
1: What? In the court?
0: Yeah, the title track. I think oh, they,
1: they... They played that when I saw them live in 2017.
0: Oh, they did? Yeah. Oh, I thought they dropped it. Because when I would look at the live album track listings like it doesn't show up that often like i'll see it here and there like it's on live in toronto and radical action but it's i don't think it's on meltdown Mm. but maybe because that song is more iconic yeah especially if crimson is going to be the glorified cover band it is you kind of have to do the hits Uh, (laughs) Oh 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 no i keep throwing jabs at jacko era i'm sorry i'm sorry it's okay and I'm sorry. to I also have
1: shade to throw at Jacko.
0: But I will say Let's this: just have
1: the whole Jacko hate episode.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for like discipline or something. But, <laughs> um, but real quick, audience, there are songs that the Jacko era does live really, really well. There are good things about the modern band, but there are also things about it I do not like at all things that I really struggle with appreciating and wondering how it is, how it is now. I think if the modern lineup did an album of their own original material, I feel like it would legitimize them. Cause even though the live stuff is important, I think the studio albums represent a point where Fripp is like, this is good enough to put on tape. Yeah. When this lineup, which I believe is the longest Crimson lineup. Yeah. Which is so weird to think. No. And they have some original stuff, but not a lot, and have still not done a full album. That's why, it yeah. Doesn't... I guess
1: it's it's just because of like the costs of having like all his, all that equipment and like and like three drummers and all. But yeah, no. I mean, it's like I'm pretty sure it's just money issues or whatever. Could also be like maybe they don't feel they have enough original material
0: because people have asked Fripp about it, and he's very wishy-washy about his answers. Or at least he doesn't seem comfortable in answering. I don't know. This is probably just me hating, but this could be a case of, like, Jacko presenting songs to Fripp, saying, like, hey, this could be a Crimson song. And Jacko plays it, (laughs) and then Fripp just pats him on the shoulder and is like, no, Jacko. We we don't need that. (laughs) You tried. (laughs) You you tried, yeah. It is still weird to me to think that there is no version of Crimson that has done I Talk to the Wind. It would be amazing to hear that live, especially when... There have been other people who have attempted it live or in the studio who I think to do really good versions of it. The most notable live version is from Steve Hackett's live album, The Tokyo Tapes. The Tokyo Tapes was a recording of, I believe it was just a Japanese-only tour, where Steve Hackett decided to form kind of a prog supergroup with him on guitar Chester Thompson from Frank Zappa, Genesis, Weather Reports, and the like on drums. John Wetton on bass and vocals. Uh, Some guy named Julian Kolbeck on keyboards. I think he worked with Steve Hackett live, but I don't necessarily know his credentials. And Ian McDonald himself. Oh, wow. For a long time, it was kind of the most readily available version of the song. In this pre-Crimson on Spotify days... I'm sure a lot of the listeners will know about all those funny in the court memes, you know, people like <laughs> reposting the full album, but like, oh, it's Russia's twenty-one twelve, or it's six nine, or and putting Crimson Music on Pornhub. We kind of had, yes. we had a hand in that, you know, all that, all that fun shit, you know, with Fripp getting crazy with the the copyright claims. I like to think it was him manually doing it. <laughs> so, I made so
1: many memes about that, like I. I came up with this whole concept when I was 19 of the Frick dimension. And it's where you get sent after Bop and Bobby finds out you torrented his albums. And it's just every single King Crimson recording being played on loop at different speeds and pitches for all eternity in a space that looks like my brother's studio apartment.
0: That that sounds horrible.
1: <laughs>
0: I wouldn't. Oh my goodness.
1: It's like a Benadryl trip, but worse.
0: <laughs> maybe, th- maybe that's why this year is so shit because we all were torn in King Crimson and Fripp somehow waved his magic wand too much that he caused COVID, but he doesn't realize it and because he's just sitting in his house of his wife and unicorn plushies.
1: Fancy and just, wine bottles. And,
0: doesn't, and he just doesn't know that it was him who did it because he waved all this bad energy at us because he just wouldn't let us easily... Have the King Crimson catalog. Uh, I'll take yeah, off. I'll take I, off. I, I, I'll take off my tinfoil hat. <laughs> but, I'm uh, staying on. <laughs>
1: I have I think, so much to say about the Fripp Dimension. Well, all we, these different liminal spaces, like Ocean State Job Lot, is part of the Fripp Dimension.
0: Shit, bro. You. you the, the. This might be some like. This. This sounds like a Tumblr blog just come to life. <laughs>
1: Like 21st century schizoid meme.tumblr.com
0: <laughs> Get that get that in. <laughs> yeah I clipped the mic whatever anyhow anyway back, back on topic um, <laughs> have you heard the Steve Hackett live version of I Talk to the Wind
1: I think I did once in my boyfriend's car a while ago but I don't remember too much about it yeah we heard something from the Tokyo tapes and I, I recognized it because the cover art has steve written in katakana
0: yeah which which i was <laughs> I always like that's amazing i was always like what does that say
1: it just says steve
0: what if it said tony banks <laughs> i like this live version though i think like a lot of things from the 90s or things redone in the 90s from an earlier time it sounds a little bit just kind of sterile very well performed like everybody does a fantastic job with it but I just think when I was talking about the covers in Schizoid Man, and I'll keep reiterating it as we go through other people covering Crimson songs, it's just, it's very difficult to just get that right thing about what makes the original work so well. And I'm not knocking Steve, Ian, all them, because I do like the version. It is a very good version, but it's kind of what you would expect a touring rock band to, to do it, if they were to do a version of it, Greg Lake did this song, which I'm pretty sure he did every song from this album, bar Moonchild uh, live in his solo career. Um, I interestingly found a version he did with Keith Emerson when they did that short little tour as the two of them, and I think like 2010. It's not bad. It's it's a very different arrangement because it's just Keith. I bet.
1: It's, it's Keith Emerson.
0: It. it he he doesn't whittle on it like Schizoid Man. It's it's not that bad. Um, <laughs> he is more faithful to it, but he's doing that. that the Keith when I, Emerson thing. Well, when I was listening to it, I'm like, was this not from 1993? Because he's doing the thing where he's playing like an electric keyboard where he gets the acoustic piano sound out of that, you know, fine. But he's put like synthesized strings on top of it. So he's doing that like 90s keyboard layering thing. Oh, man. And eh, I would have preferred it if he had just done the piano. Like, no synthy fiddly stuff, you know, yeah. little sounds. Just keep it that. When Greg comes in with his acoustic guitar, and then they're playing off of each other, it's really nice. It's not recognizable. You wouldn't think it's I Talk to the Wind unless Greg, you know, was singing it. But instrumentally, it's nice.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, I hate to say this, but... I think at the end of his life, Greg's like, Greg Lake's vocals. Weren't very good. Like yeah. in the seventies, he was brilliant. He's like one of my favorite singers of all time. His singing on take a pebble is easily a top five vocal performance of all time for me. Oh yeah. And epitaph That's great. as well. Yeah, like he, He's a brilliant singer, but it's obvious Greg didn't take care of himself. Yeah. And by the end of his life, it did start to affect him. He still tried, and I give him all the love and respect in the world, but it just it wasn't the best. It helped that the musical arrangement behind him was really good. Otherwise, I think it would have been eh. And then he did a version live of the solo band. It's about the same. Mm. It's okay. I prefer listening to the Keith version just because I always – it always puts a goofy smile on my face whenever I hear Keith just – slightly overdoing it in something. He always has to Emerson it in a little way that always makes me go, dude, just, just stop.
1: Yeah, like I liked CLP a lot when I was first getting into Prague and now I'm just like,
0: I can still listen to him a little bit. Yeah. but I only like
1: their first couple albums.
0: Yeah. Like, did you have a period where you're obsessed with them? Not really. Oh, I did.
1: Like it was, yeah. For me, it was more King Crimson and Peter Gabriel Genesis.
0: I feel it. I feel it. And now like, it's
1: King Crimson and Phil Collins Genesis. Although I still love Wacky Pete.
0: <laughs> we all love Wacky Pete, but we we like receding Phil as well. Um, they're all important. Phil
1: Collins receding hairline fan club.
0: <laughs> Come join us. Come join us in that. Um, we have like uh,
1: constant shit posting.
0: <laughs> it's okay. It, it's it's part of what keeps the day going smoothly. <laughs> Earlier, I was talking about cover versions of the song. Um, I don't know how many there are, but I found two versions that are different, but interesting. There was apparently a famous dance cover version done by a group or a singer or whomever called Opus 3. It was released in 1993, and it essentially is kind of like that dance EDM trance thing in the early 90s that was just taking over Europe.
1: I can't imagine I Talk to the Wind being that genre
0: yeah, it is strange because I was like, I'm not sure about this. I do have an appreciation for electronic music and dance music. Like, I'm a big fan of people like Apex Twin and, of course, Brian Eno. And, But it's not a bad version. It's interesting because it's not bombastic. It's very much, it's a little trip hop, if you know what trip hop is. Oh, yeah. It has that vibe to it but it it's almost like proto trip hop because i think trip hop became huge by like the mid 90s but we're still in the early 90s Mm. there's a little bit of that mainly in her vocals because she's not doing that like shouting like "Hadaway, what is love thing at you it's a lot more subdued and she does a good vocal performance but a lot of that over abundance you know four four beat electronic chords it does get a little bit irritating at points, but it's produced, in, it's produced in a way that it doesn't hurt your ears. Like I think a lot mm. of early like Euro trash, I guess, was. <laughs> it's interesting. I'm not sure I'd recommend it, but a version I did find, which I really, really liked, and it's by a singer named Dana Gavansky. Gavansky? I'm not, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. I could be wrong. But I guess she did a covers album this year, and I Talk to the Wind was on it. And the only reason I found it was I was searching for covers of I Talk to the Wind, and I listened to it, and I really like it. It definitely has this modern indie folk thing. Um, there's a little bit. There's a little bit of like drum machine, but mixed with like actual drums. There's. It's a little bit more busy in the bass work. They have a little bass and drum kind of almost like a jazz break. Wow. And it's really good. This is tasteful. And Dana, I think she's also doing the guitar. She does a really good job playing it and singing it, adding her own spin to it, but still respecting the original because she's still doing the melody exactly. Yeah. But how she's rearranged the song below the melody, the harmony and rhythm is really good. When you listen to it, you wouldn't think it's a King Crimson cover. It just sounds like like a modern indie folk song. yeah. And I'm not the biggest indie folk fan, but I think she did a really good version of it. So to all you out there uh, listening, uh, check it out. But overall, I would say I Talk To The Wind. In terms of this album, it's one of my favorite songs on In The Court. Sounds like I'm repeating myself under (laughs) stress. It is definitely one of my favorite tracks on the album. I love just listening to it. And it's one of the few Crimson songs that you could put like in a playlist of other tunes and it wouldn't throw you off. Yeah, it's it fits in just nicely.
1: Yeah, and like we- if you have like all these like melodic folk ballads, I talked to the one would fit right in. Do
0: you do you wonder why they didn't release this as a single or maybe a reason?
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe they just didn't want to release singles at the time or something. Try to be as obscure as possible and have some anime fans rediscover us in 50 years.
0: (laughs) They were really thinking ahead back then. Yeah. It's funny you say that because there was a song from this album that was a single.
1: Yeah, Epitaph, right?
0: Well, yes, but I mean a single at the time. Because Epitaph didn't come out as a single until 76. Oh, yeah. But there was a song from this album that was pushed as a single of the time. What song? The Court of the Crimson King. Really? It is weird they would do that as a single. Yeah, that that's not a song that really lends itself to pop radio. Yeah, but but we'll get into that in the The Court of the Crimson King episode. So, overall, I guess uh final question, would you say this is better or worse than 21st Century Schizoid Man?
1: That's uh, it's hard to compare cuz like there's just such different songs. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. But, I mean, I I guess I'd say Schizoid Man just because it was so, like, innovative and just changed so much for music. Now, what about you?
0: I respect that. Um, I think it depends on my mood. Hmm. Because right now, for my mood, I would rather listen to that than Schizoid Man. But, of course, in, like, a day or two, it could completely flip. I would agree it is very hard to compare them. But the only reason I ask that is because they fit together so it's interesting just to see the different ideas about it i love i talk to the wind but i would give it to schizoid man because i Talk to the wind isn't a song that would turn your head like schizoid man was yeah like schizoid man makes you go what the hell is that but then when they play i talk to the winds i think that makes you stay yeah you, know? you come for schizoid man you stay for talk to the wind <laughs> so i th- i think we'll end it on that uh, thank you guys so much for watching make sure to like rate review comment subscribe share all those all those flash words to to get you stay in there uh, avery thank you so much for joining us, me and <laughs> of course and audience thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next week for one that we are most excited to talk about hopefully you are most excited to listen to and that is epitaph so long for now, yeah.
1: Leo. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs>